Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Today, I am bringing you the conclusion of the murder of Ashley Biggs. This is a case I discussed last week in episode 53. So if you haven't listened to part one, please pause and go back and listen to that episode first. This is a story where one of Chad Cobb's exes went down as a form of retaliation and the other ex went down as a form of revenge. Without further delay, join me today as I discuss the full story on the murder of Ashley Biggs. Now, let's dig in. My sources for today's case include the Law and Crime Network's YouTube live video coverage of the trial in the case of Ohio versus Erica Stefanko, court TV coverage of the same trial, and articles by the Daily Record, the Daily Beast, the Daily Mail, and the Canton Rep. Let me bring you up to speed. Ashley Biggs and Chad Cobb met sometime in 2003. By 2005, they welcomed a baby daughter, G.C. Within a few months of G.C.'s birth, Ashley left G.C. in Chad's care, abandoning her relationship with Chad. According to Chad, she left because she was selfish and they were an inconvenience to her. According to Ashley's future lover, Ashley left Chad because he was abusive, which seems to be corroborated by a 2005 domestic violence charge that Chad pled guilty to. After sporadically visiting her daughter for a few years, Ashley joined the Army and lost contact with her daughter and Chad. When Ashley left the Army, she met a woman named Brittany Dunson. They began a romantic relationship and quickly moved in together. One day in 2011, Ashley received a letter from the CSB informing her that there had been child abuse claims involving her daughter, GC. In an effort to get up to speed on what was going on, Ashley went to the courthouse to figure it out. During her visit, Ashley was awarded temporary custody of GC, and this began a nine-month custody battle that ultimately led to Ashley's murder. Ashley was working at a Domino's off of Main Street and 619 in Akron, Ohio, and on June 20, 2012, she made a pizza delivery, but she never returned. The police proceeded to search for her at her last known delivery address, at 647 West Turkey Foot Lake Road in New Franklin, Ohio. When they arrived, there was no sign of Ashley, but there was a large amount of blood in the parking lot located behind the building, consistent with the struggle. According to the Daily Record, the scene was processed by the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation. After discussing Ashley's disappearance with Ashley's long-term girlfriend, Brittany, Brittany informed police that Ashley was involved in an ugly, ugly child custody battle with none other than Chad Cobb, 
Oh, and by the way, his grandma happened to live but five or six minutes max from the Domino's. The police arrive at Chad's grandparents' house located at 731 Rexlake Road. And sure enough, they find Chad hiding in the bushes and they find his wife and four kids in the car, which, by the way, had been running. They were both taken in for questioning and it was about 4.30 a.m. By 11.30 that morning, a call came in to the Wayne County Sheriff's Department from a concerned citizen. This concerned citizen spotted a car in a cornfield on the 12,000 block of Poor Road in Doylestown. The location of the car was suspicious because it was far from the roadway. While the car was only four-tenths of a mile from the roadway, if you draw a line diagonally on a map, whoever drove the car to that ending location and the drive was six-tenths of a mile. The car ultimately stopped short of the Chippewa Creek. Police could tell which way the car traveled as all of the corn in its path had been disturbed and likely destroyed. In any event, upon arriving at the car, police officers not familiar with the case could not identify the deceased person in the back seat because there was so much blood, but they called in detectives who had already been working Ashley Cobb's missing persons case. These detectives were able to determine that that was the car of the missing person, and they were able to identify some tattoos belonging to Ashley. The scene was processed until about 8.30 p.m., and by 9 p.m. that evening, authorities had a search warrant for the Cobb residence. The discovery of Ashley Cobb in her car in that remote cornfield was nothing shy of miraculous. Captain Doug Hunter of the Wayne County Sheriff's Office told the Daily Record that had another week passed without discovering Ashley's car, it would have been weeks or months until she would have been discovered. It was ultimately determined that Ashley was murdered by Chad Cobb, the father of her child and the man whom she had been battling in court for the last nine months. Chad Cobb was charged with capital aggravated murder and a slew of other things, and he ultimately pled guilty to everything in February of 2013. It was at his sentencing hearing that his wife, Erica Lyon, showed up very much pregnant and it was evident it was not Chad's baby. Erica, it turns out, had started a romantic relationship with one of Chad's best buds, a man by the name of Mike Stefanko. Remember, the childhood friend, the neighbor, and the employee? Yep, that guy. Once Chad got wind that Erica was a two-timing SOB, he got mad, but he wasn't quite sure who would take care of the kids if Erica went down for her involvement in Ashley's murder, so he kept things under wrap. Chad and Erica began divorce proceedings, and Chad became aware that Mike moved into his house only a month after he had been charged with murder. This really got to him, and he didn't want Mike to have any of his things, so Chad asked Erica to give all of his tools to his dad. This seemed to become a contentious moment in the relationship. I'm not sure what comes of the tools and who gets them or whatever, but I do know that Chad seemed to be happy since Erica continued to bring the kids to see him in jail. And that seemed to make him happy for the time being. Erica eventually welcomed a child with Matt Stefanko. And after her divorce was final with Chad, her and Matt tied the knot and she became Erica Stefanko. 
Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your cart and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Detectives had long suspected that Erica had somehow been involved in the planning and execution of Ashley's murder, but they never had anything to go on. Until 2017, when Chad Cobb decided to go to the detectives with a story. It was interesting timing because up until that point, Erica had continued taking the kids to see Chad until she finally just stopped. And this really ticked Chad off, which is why he decided to come forward. And this is the story he told. He told them about the child custody issues between him and Ashley, and he described how Erica had mostly helped raise GC. He also told of times when he was scheduled to have GC and GC would arrive from her mother's house with bruises, bite marks, and, quote, tattoos over her private areas, end quote. He also claimed that GC told of times when she was forced to take her clothes off while she was at her mother's house. Chad was under the suspicion that something terrible was happening to GC while she was away visiting her mom. He then said that he never in fact planned to kill Ashley. The truth was it was all planned by Erica. She, he said, was the mastermind. Earlier on the day of June 20th, 2012, Chad was setting up for a new job that he had. Later that evening, he was home with his wife and all of his kids. At some point, Erica left the house with two of the four kids while he doesn't actually know where she went. A while after Erica left, she called Chad and allegedly instructed him to gather a few items and meet her somewhere. Chad gathered the items and together with the two kids got into his work truck and drove to his father's company located in Norton, Ohio. He parked in the back of the parking lot and waited a few minutes. Then Erica showed up in the Lincoln Navigator. 
Chad and the kids left their truck and joined Erica in the Navigator. Chad got into the passenger seat and the four kids were in the back. Then Erica just began to drive towards Akron. According to Chad, he didn't know what was going on or where they were going. Eventually, they drove past the Domino's where Ashley worked. She worked in Portage Lakes Plaza on South Main Street in 619. As they drove past the Domino's, Erica pointed out Ashley's car in the parking lot. But according to Chad, they didn't stop. Erica just kept driving, maybe for less than a mile. Then she turned right into a vacant parking lot. Now, you know me. I am a visual person, so I had to figure out what this area looked like. Was the Domino's located in a tiny plaza with a small parking lot, or was it nestled in between larger stores? A satellite image on Google Maps shows that the Domino's is in fact nestled between a large grocery store, a hair salon, a brewery, a liquor store, a subway, and a stationery store. If you're driving south on Main Street late at night, I'd imagine it would be pretty hard to spot a car you weren't looking for all the way from the road. But you know, I digress. Anyhow, when Erica pulled into the vacant parking lot of that abandoned business, she drove around back by a row of trees. They both got out of the vehicle and Erica was going off about something. Due to marital privilege, we're never made aware of the content of the conversations that occur between Erica and Chad. But it is clear that Erica is pissed about something involving Ashley. Chad goes into the tree line a little bit away from the car and Erica soon follows behind. She takes out a phone and makes a call. But according to Chad, she's walking away while she's on the phone and he can't quite hear everything that is said, but he can hear that she's calling in a pizza order. She gives a bogus name, something like Jen or something like that, and she provides a location where they are currently at. She orders a mushroom and pepperoni pizza, and as she's about to hang up, she looks at Chad and smiles. When she was done with the call, the two of them chatted some more, and then Chad stayed by the trees, and Erica got into the car and left. Chad claims that he was abandoned. Chad had on his Cobb cable t-shirt, camo coat and pants, and work boots. Because he had been working earlier that day, he also had his stun gun with him, which I'm pretty unsure why a cable guy needs this, but he also had a diving knife. He never mentions having the zip ties. Chad claims that he began to make circles around the building because he was stuck. When he saw Ashley pull into the parking lot in her car, while it was not marked with Domino's markings, he knew it was Ashley. She pulled around back as she was instructed to do by the caller. And as she got out of the car, Chad approached her. When he got close enough for Ashley to recognize him, she was pissed. In fact, Chad describes her as being, quote, worked up. Chad refused to discuss what he did to Ashley. Eventually, though, after Ashley was no longer moving or living, he called Erica to come pick him up. And she was there within minutes. When Erica arrived, Ashley was on the floor in a pool of blood. Chad says he then grabbed Ashley, although he's unclear how he was able to pick her up alone because he describes her as hefty. Ashley was 5'8 and he was 6'2, roughly 200 plus pounds. But he gets her into the backseat of her own car. Then he jumps into the driver's seat and takes off. 
Erica following closely behind the entire time. He ended up driving about 30 minutes away, roughly 14 miles to a bridge located right behind his mother and father's farmhouse. Chad told how this bridge was his and Ashley's bridge, so he thought it fitting to take her there. But to me, I'm like, this is so weird, dude. It had been years since he and Ashley were together, and for him to bring it back to this was, quote, our bridge, the entire thing just felt so odd as he was talking about this. But maybe this goes to the fact that the whole time he's telling the story about him and Ashley, how he just feels completely abandoned by her. But I, I have no clue why he continued to call it our bridge. When he gets to the bridge, it was a bit rough for driving. So Erica stayed behind in her car with the kids and waited for him to return. Chad explains that he drove the car deep into the cornfield until he couldn't go any further. He left the car and walked back to the bridge on foot. When he got into Erica's car, he was covered in blood. They lived only eight minutes away and they needed to disappear ASAP. They drove as quickly as possible back to their home located at 15007 North Mount Eaton Road in Rittman, Ohio in an effort that he could get cleaned up before folks came a-knocking, although these two fools thought they'd never get caught. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, Adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. I imagine it was somewhere between 1 and 2 a.m. by this point. They get to the house. Chad derobes outside because he doesn't want to track any blood into the house. He quickly showers. All the while, Erica was ranting and raving about what a bloody mess he had made and how he likely left evidence behind. Erica somehow convinced him they needed to go back to clean. So at this point, it is well after 2 a.m. They pack all kids back into the car with cleaning supplies and they start heading towards 647 Turkey Foot Lake Road. However, they could not predict how quickly Ashley would have been reported missing or how quickly anyone would have been pointing fingers at them because as they drove by 647 Turkey Foot Lake Road, the abandoned building was now surrounded by officers who were already processing the scene. Crap, they thought. 
So they quickly made their way to Chad's grandparents' house. That place was no kidding, two minutes away. It was only half a mile. So the house that they went to, located at 731 Rex Lake Road, had a U-shaped driveway. But towards the back of the house, they had a hidden garage and a pretty large parking lot for, you know, just a basic house. So the cops went back there to hide out, but they hadn't removed the kids from the car. Heck, I doubt his grandparents even knew they were back there. They end up sitting back there for about 30 minutes doing God knows what. Chad calls his parents and asks them to go get Mike Stefanko because Erica needed some of her medication. Now, this is extremely odd to me because why hadn't Chad called Mike directly? Anyway, it doesn't even matter. Then Chad gets out of the car. He goes to the back of the Lincoln Navigator and begins to remove his little stick figure family from the back window. You know, those those little figures that you can add to the back window for for your family to show you as like one dad, one mom or two moms or three kids and one dog or whatever. They have like zombie families and everything. Well, they had this on their back window and Chad decides that he's going to go back there. He's going to start removing them from his window and he removes the two adults before making his way towards the tree line after he was spooked by clear car traffic in front of the house. Chad later claims that he only removed the two adult stick figures because he figured their family was now broken. But it's more likely that he was removing the entire stick figure family to distinguish his car from the one that could have been seen at the crime scene. And well, the rest is history. Detective Hitchings receives the note from Chad, but he knows that criminals will say just about anything to be in less trouble. While the detective is sure that Erica was somehow involved, he needs corroborating evidence. So before paying Chad a visit, he decides to talk to some people. He goes to meet with Cindy Cobb, Chad's mom, and she provides a chilling story. Back in May of 2014, she and Erica had a three-hour conversation where Erica basically all but confessed to assisting in Ashley's murder. And Cindy had a bombshell. The three-hour conversation was recorded. What? Holy smokes. Detective Hitchings could not believe his ears, but it was true. And in January of 2018, he got a copy of the three-hour secretly recorded conversation between Erica Lyon and Cindy Cobb. This three-hour conversation was played in bits and pieces during the trial, but it is extremely difficult to hear and understand. But here are some of the key points to take from the conversation. It appears that while Chad and Erica were going through their divorce, Chad wanted her to give all of his tools to his dad, and there was some issue going on there. As per that issue, Erica told Cindy, quote, I need to give him all of his tools or he's going to tell them more about my involvement with Ashley, end quote. Erica also boasted, quote, if everything would have been told exactly as it happened, we'd both be in prison right now, end quote. Erica also admitted to making the phone call, quote, there is no lie in that. That's what Chad said we were going to do. I carried out my part and it wasn't like he was forcing me to do it. It wasn't like he put a gun to my head, end quote. She further said, quote, 
He came up with how to do it and he executed almost all of it by himself. The part that he executed went totally array, end quote. She even discussed her and Chad keeping Ashley's skull as a trophy had they gotten away with murder. She discussed how risky it was, but she also discussed how they had assessed the risk and determined it wasn't that risky. She confided in Cindy Cobb, quote, every time I hear a siren, I think they're coming for me, end quote. And of the actual murder, Erica is heard saying, quote, do I feel bad about what happened to her? Not really. Even the moments that she went through, like before her life ended, no, end quote. Wow. This woman is ruthless. First of all, is anyone wondering why in the world someone who might have gotten away with murder would ever say these words, especially to their soon-to-be ex-mother-in-law? She is straight cray. At this point, police are now armed with not only the three-hour secretly recorded audio that seems to point to Erica's involvement, but they also have Chad's willingness to participate. And they do snag one more person, a family friend who admits that sometime in 2012, Erica was at her home for dinner when Erica admitted to her that she had dropped Chad off at the crime scene, left, then returned and followed him to the cornfield. Erica did not admit to making the call, but she did state she knew who did, but she didn't want to tell her friends because she didn't want to get her friends involved. But Erica was all about boasting. Girl just needs to keep her mouth shut. But she told her friend when detectives came to search her house, quote, they missed a lot of evidence, end quote. She specifically mentioned something about evidence on the computer, but that was not something detectives searched nor took. During the above conversation, the friend describes Erica as being cheerful, bubbly, and carefree. And wait, this conversation, if not already dark, got even darker. Erica told her friend that she'd often visit Ashley's grave, and at one point, she took the time to defecate on it. What in the world? First of all, no, 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 just... Just know that is too much. This poor friend must have been in absolute shock. With all this damning evidence, in November of 2019, seven years after Ashley's murder, Erica Stefanko was finally charged with aggravated murder, felonious aggravated murder, murder with purpose, felonious murder, kidnapping, and aggravated robbery. The trial was scheduled to begin in early 2020, but was rescheduled due to COVID-19. It began a year after Erica's arrest in November of 2020. This entire trial is mostly available on YouTube. So if you're interested in watching it, it's a truly fascinating endeavor on how trials are being adjudicated during the COVID-19 pandemic. The trial was filled with remote videos of the different crime scenes, including the scene of the murder on 647 Turkey Foot Lake Road, the scene of Chad's grandparents' house located at 731 Rex Lake Road, and the scene at Chad's house located at 15007 Mount Eaton Road. A court TV synopsis of the trial describes the first day of trial as follows. 
The jury virtually visits the crime scene and both the prosecution and defense provide opening statements. The first witness called by the prosecution is Brittany Dunson, who provides the background on the child custody issues between Ashley and Chad. She also provides some insight into Ashley's personality since Ashley is not here to tell us herself. Day two of the trial is a big day. A key prosecution witness provides testimony, Chad Cobb. Chad provides his statement over video teleconference from the Richland Correctional Institute. He is well-spoken and speaks clearly, although he's often scolded for using his children's full names, despite the fact the judge keeps asking him to use only initials. You can also tell that Chad really wants to break marital privilege, and he wants to shout out from the mountaintops how equally guilty Erica is of Ashley's murder. But he is held to only discussing Erica's actions and his actions rather than words. It is clear he is hinting at this entire thing being Erica's idea, although I'm not quite sure I believe they aren't both equally to blame. During testimony, Chad tries to have this mini pity party for himself, claiming the only reason he pled guilty was because the judge threatened that all of his kids would go to foster care if he didn't play ball. But he ultimately realized he was never promised anything by the court besides a promise to remove the death penalty from sentencing consideration. During his testimony, Chad was quick to remember birth dates, dates regarding his courtship with Ashley, but when asked when he and Erica got married, he blanked. Clearly, his intent was to hurt Erica as much as possible, and while completely insignificant in a murder trial, because who cares what your anniversary is, he claimed not to remember the date or even the exact year of their marriage. On day two, the jury also gets to hear Erica's own words during that three-hour secretly recorded conversation. Cindy Cobb also testifies not only regarding the recording, but also the abuse that GC, Ashley and Chad's daughter, lived at the hands of Erica. Cindy drops a bombshell when she says that Erica admitted to her once that she fed GC food with dog poop in it. Yikes! What a disgusting human being. But wait, before you hate this woman even more than you already do, it was clarified that it does not appear that Erica actually fed the child dog poop as much as she just made the kid believe it was dog poop. But nonetheless, that is terrifying. Anyhow, Cindy also testified that the children all went to foster care when Chad and Erica were arrested. The family was afraid that the kids would be adopted out, so they all encouraged Chad to plead guilty. While Cindy was aware of investigators' requests for Chad to cooperate regarding Erica, they all believed that the kids would be much better off at home with Erica than with a stranger. On day three, 15-year-old GC took the stand to discuss that although she was only six years old at the time, she remembers the night her father was taken away. She remembers being in the back of the car and she distinctly remembers hearing Erica call in a pizza order using a bogus name. GC said she didn't remember her biological mother, but she did remember Erica. She claimed that Erica was both mentally and physically abusive towards her and would threaten GC that if she ever disclosed the abuse to her father, 
that the abuse would get worse. GC clearly misses her father, and she told the court that she hopes he gets out of prison soon. Her testimony was so heartbreaking that she even had to be involved in any of this mess is just so devastating. I imagine that as a young child, she probably feels a lot of self-guilt since her parents were in a battle over her. But she was a child and adults need to act like adults. And so it just breaks my heart. Next, the Domino's manager testified about answering the call from a woman requesting a pizza delivery to 647 West Turkey Foot Lake Road. On day four of the trial, the jury is shown pictures of an unrecognizable Ashley Biggs after she had been murdered. They also see photos of items found at Chad and Erica's house, items that were clearly used to kill Ashley. It's a highly scientific court date as the jury hears from the medical examiner. The medical examiner testified that Ashley had multiple injuries to the head and neck, including a broken nose. She also noted that the zip tie around Ashley's neck had been placed there while Ashley was still alive, as was evidenced by the petechia around Ashley's face. The other zip ties, specifically those around her wrist, were placed there post-mortem and appeared to have been placed there to get a better handhold over the dead body, for example, to move the body from the ground to the car. A forensic scientist also testified that duct tape found on Ashley's body matched the duct tape found at Chad's home. I can only imagine that this day was a rough day for the jurors. The next day on day five, the jury heard from one special agent and Mike Hitchings, the detective I mentioned earlier. Detective Hitchings provided some interesting details about the phone that was used to make the Domino's order. Getting that phone information was of top priority at the time of the investigation. And what they discovered was that the phone used was a burner phone. Well, while they were searching the Chad Erica residence, they found a Walmart receipt for two 15-minute air cards. What? So those are minutes. They wanted to see if they could connect those minutes to the burner phone used to call the Domino's. So investigators go to the Wadesworth, Ohio Walmart location stated on the receipt and they pull the footage from the date and time on that receipt. And wouldn't you know it, the minutes were purchased on June 18th, 2012 at about 6.30 p.m. That's roughly 48 hours before Ashley's murder. The minutes were the only thing purchased at the store and it was a full family affair up at that Walmart. In the surveillance video was Chad, Erica, and their four kids. I mean, who takes the whole family to Walmart to buy minutes for their card? Ugh, I don't know. If that's you, I'm sorry, but that's absurd. Let me just say, ain't no way me, Mama Margot, that I'm going to take my full car of kids out to buy some phone minutes. If my husband is there with me, one of us is running in alone to grab those things. I mean, there's just no way that I would put myself through that. Anyway, after all of that hard work by detectives, they could not determine that those minutes purchased by Chad and his wife were the ones put on the burner phone. However, 
Verizon was able to confirm that the burner phone used to call Domino's did have a 15-minute balance on it, according to their records. Now, whether those were the 15 minutes purchased that day at Walmart will always remain a mystery. And while this was not a nail in Erica's coffin, it was still something that could lead a reasonable person to the conclusion that Erica was somehow involved. Remember, there was a female caller, after all, who made that pizza call. Something else that I found slightly comical, but also off-putting, was a Facebook meme that Erica posted on her page less than four months after Ashley was murdered and her husband was sitting in jail for murder. Detective Hitchings described finding a meme of O.J. Simpson with a smirk on his face and the following words overlaid on the picture, quote, 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one, end quote. Not a good look, Erica. Not a good look, girlfriend. After the prosecution rested their case, Erica decided that she was no longer going to take the stand in her own defense. Before resting their case, however, the defense did call one witness, Mike Stefanko, Erica's new husband. I listened to his testimony and it wasn't very interesting and I'm not quite sure why the defense called him at all. On the sixth day of trial, closing arguments were given. The prosecution reminded the jury, even if Erica did not actually place that zip tie on Ashley, even if she did not witness the murder, she did in fact place that call, putting into motion events that would eventually lead to Ashley's murder. She also helped with disposing of the body by following Chad to the cornfields, taking him home, and eventually encouraging him to return to the crime scene to clean the mess. And let's not forget Erica's own words recorded by her former mother-in-law. The defense was quick to throw Chad back under the bus. Defense attorney Carrie O'Brien is quick to remind everyone that Chad had all of the above alleged evidence since the summer of 2012, and he conveniently provided it to the police five years later. He thinks Chad is a vindictive SOB. He was mad he couldn't see his kids anymore. Quote, Here's a person who has admitted his guilt, admitted that he beat, admitted that he strangled Ashley Biggs, and yet now he's trying to get out of it? How credible is that kind of person? End quote. Also, Attorney O'Brien points to the fact that the secretly recorded message was in Cindy Cobb's hands since May of 2014, but she doesn't hand it over until January of 2018. Can't you see, the defense says, this is all a plot by Chad and his mom to implicate his poor, innocent client. After it was all said and done, the jury left and deliberated for 14 hours over the course of three days, and they returned a mixed verdict. But all you need to know is that Erica was convicted of aggravated murder and murder with purpose. Early on, Erica had also been charged with felonious assault, retaliation, tampering with evidence, and gross abuse of a corpse. But those were dismissed before the trial began due to the statute of limitation. Her sentencing hearing is scheduled for early 2021.
complete insanity, huh? I had been following this case since Erica's charges were announced in November of 2019, but I never in a million years would have imagined all the twists and turns of this case. This story gives me hope that people don't usually get away with murder. I'm happy for detectives who go above and beyond the call of duty. Even after a case appears to be closed, they continue to ask questions. All right, if you liked the storytelling and you want to hear more, make sure that you click subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast and on Facebook at Military True Crime. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with all of the Bootcamp and Hire fan club members. This week's newest assistant producer is Mary, and the music was created by Tyops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of, so remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week, and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Let's work on our podcast.